0: I would ask as you find your seats that you would uh, grab your Bibles and your outlines from your bulletin as we continue in our series, One Month to Live, asking a clarifying question in all things that we do, and that is, how would our life be different if we had just one month to live? And the hope and desire is, by asking this question... Uh, in all aspects of life that we would live each day with no regrets uh, the life of Christ that uh, he has called us to. And so we're going to find ourselves today uh, beginning uh, with a springboard passage from John chapter 13. I'd ask that you would turn there for a moment. John chapter 13 uh, in verse 1. And today we're going to learn about how to love completely, just as Christ did. And John 13, 1 gives us an understanding of that. So let's look at John 13, verse 1. It says the following, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that His time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew His time was coming to an end, is what John is telling us. And it says, Having loved His own who were in the world... He now showed them the full extent of His love. Let's just ask for the Lord's blessing on our time. Father God, how we need to be shown the full extent of Your love. We live in a world that lacks love. We live in a world that talks about love and that sings about love and acts out love. But Lord, very rarely do we see love personified in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ. That, Lord, he knew his time was short. He knew that he had just a day or two left as these words were penned. And yet, instead of focusing in on the trials and tribulations that were before him, he focused in on those he loved. Lord, I pray that as believers, we would focus in on the limited time that we have on this earth, on those whom you've called us to love. Lord, for many of those, it's people that we know, it's people that we live with, it's people that we've known for some time. But Lord, I pray that we would be moved by a heart of love to those that are less fortunate, to those that we don't know, to those that may be different than us, and that in doing so, we would live out a life of no regret a life that lives out love. Now, Lord, this is something that has come up over and over again in our study in 1 John, in our study of the fruit of the Spirit, and now in this study. And, Lord, um, I want to be sensitive to Your Spirit to understand that this may be a recurring theme because it is something that we may need to know better and live out more here at Village Bible Church. So, Lord, I pray... Uh, That all of us, including myself, would hear what you have to say to us this morning. That you would speak clearly to us. That we would listen. So that we may love just as your son Jesus Christ did. So that you'll be brought glory and renown throughout this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the subject matter of how to live passionately. And watched how four men lived out their faith, a great faith, and not allowing obstacles to crowd in and to keep them from doing what they believed God had led them to be a part of. And as a result of that, out of the result of their perseverance, they were able to be an incredible blessing to those that were around them, including their friend that they were able to bring to the feet of Jesus. And today we talk about how to love completely, the second of the one month to live uh, principles that we find in God's Word. And it's all about relationships. You and I were created for relationships. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of the Bible, God has created man and he has created all kinds of animals. And in the text, in the garden, a place of perfection, the first time where we see that God says something is not good is in the conversation that he is having, and he says it is not good for man to be alone. God doesn't like to see us alone. He's built us to have a relationship. I believe one of the reasons why He has built us this way is it shows us the relationship that takes place within the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together they are conversing. Together they are creating. Together they are holding the universe in place. They are living life together, if you will. And God calls us to be like Him. And so He calls us to relationships but while we realize that relationships are important, and while we understand our own desire to connect deeply with family and friends, we also recognize that it isn't easy all the time. In fact, I'm sure that some of you driving into church today recognize the difficulty of relationships. Some of you may have said on the way to church or, or getting up this morning or maybe even this week, said, it would be so much easier if I didn't have anybody else I had to worry about. A couple of weeks ago, Amanda and I were without the boys. And I'll tell you, that was a simple weekend. There was no worrying about if we've got diapers. There was no question of if everybody had the right clothes on, if they were on the right way. There was no question on uh, do we need to stop as soon as we get in the car for a bathroom break. It was just Amanda and I, two adults And it was simple. It was easy. But I will tell you, as we were rejoicing at the beginning of the weekend, by the end of the weekend, we were beginning to miss our children. We came home to a very quiet house, and my wife said, This is not good. I miss my boys. And we begin to understand that we are built for deep and meaningful relationships. Now, there are a lot of things that keep us from relationships. There's a lot of things that keep us from the deep relationships that we want. There's no question that many of us want deep relationships, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's with our children, our family, or people in our friendship circles. But there are many things that keep us from them, obstacles that keep us from loving people as Christ would ask. And so I want to ask again a clarifying question. And the question is, what would my relationships look like What would they look like if I knew I only had one month to live? Whom would I spend most of my time with? What would I say to those who are closest to me? Who around me needs to be assured of my love for them? And what things in my life would I need to rid myself of to spend the kind of quality time that I would want to in my final days here on earth? You see, we don't ask those questions. We don't ask those questions because we think we're going to have eternity with them. We think that we're going to have all the time in the world. And if you've known anybody who has been given a certain period of life, you know that you want to embrace every part of who they are as much as you can before they're gone. And this is how God wants us to interact with relationships. Not because we're going to lose our lives in the next couple days, but because he wants us to live our lives to the fullest, and he has given us relationships to be able to do that. And this is where Jesus' uh, life comes into picture. Again, let me read that verse from John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He's leaving. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The Passover is the beginning of the week where Jesus is going to be betrayed, Jesus is going to be arrested, and Jesus is going to be uh, convicted of crimes that he never committed and be hung on a cross. And knowing his time was short, he shows them the height of his love, the depth of his love, and the length of his love in all ways. He does it in the words that he shares. In week one, we looked at this principle, and we saw that he did it through service. In John 13, we see that he uh, washed the disciples' feet. He served them. And then we know just a couple chapters later that he goes to the cross as a sacrifice for his friends. And we're reminded of the sacrifice that we're called to. But how are we to follow such an example? What does it mean to love completely? How can we love others as Christ has loved us? I want to explore four things this morning. And through it, I want us to see how through those four things we can begin to love. And the first one is, is that loving completely involves living like God. It involves living like God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is going to tell us that there is nothing in this world that we can do that shows the world of our submission and our desire to serve Christ than to love. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says the following. Be imitators of God... Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Live a life of love. Now, I want you to notice a couple things in this text. First of all, I want you to notice the word in the NIV translation is the word imitators. It is a Greek word where we get our English word to mimic, to mime. Uh, This word is to, of course, copy that which we see someone else doing. And so what Paul is telling us is that we are to be imitators. We are to be mimics to what God is doing. And now notice what he wants us to imitate. He doesn't say in, in the text, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live lives as theologians. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live active lives in church ministry. He doesn't say, imitate God as dearly loved children and give lots of money to the church. He doesn't say, imitate God as dearly loved children and preach good sermons. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, as imitators of God, as dearly loved children, we are to live lives of love. That burdened me this week because I spent a lot of time focused on ministry. I spent a lot of time focusing in on being a good husband and a good father and a good pastor and a good preacher. And I don't spend a lot of time doing that which will make me good at all of those things, and that is living a life of love. I miss it. I want to be all these other things that seem important. But God says, Tim, I want you to imitate me in the following. Live a life of love. But what does that look like? I want to give you again a definition that I've used over and over again when it comes to love. I want you to write this this definition down. Love is a self-sacrificing commitment. It's a self-sacrificing commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good in the one loved. It's a self-sacrificing commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good in the one loved. We see this definition in the love that Christ has shown us. When Christ said he loved us, he self-sacrificed himself And he had a commitment to that to meet our needs instead of meeting the needs of his own. It was a commitment that showed itself in doing that which was the most important thing for us. Jesus knew our issue, he knew our struggle with sin. And he didn't come just to entertain us. He didn't just come to uh, do miracles. He didn't just come uh, to be a great leader. But he knew that the greatest act of love was that he would lay down his life to die for you and me because we have an issue of sin that will keep us from fellowshipping with him in eternity. And so he says, I'm going to seek the highest good, your salvation, because I love you. This is the love that Jesus showed, and we're called to show it to others. But in reality, how are we to live that out? It involves a couple things. First of all, understand that love is an attribute. It is an attribute. If we want to love like God, then it needs to be a part of who we are. I'm going to go quickly to 1 John for a moment. And we were there not too long ago. In 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 and 8 remind us of this idea of love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. It is in this passage that we see that love is personified in the person and work of, Of Jesus Christ what that means is we get our definition of love not from a a Romantic novel not from Hollywood not from the wonderful songs that are sung on the radio About a special someone but our definition of love comes from God You want to know how to love your wife? You look at God you want to love your children? Look at God. You want to love those that are difficult to love? You look to God. He is the definition. He is the sum total of all that love is. And that is what we need to have in our lives. When people look at our lives, they need to see first and foremost that we are people of love. Oh, so-and-so is a wonderful uh, employee, a wonderful banker, a wonderful uh, office manager. Uh, They're very good at sports. They they are a good father. But above all that, so-and-so is a person of love. Can people say that around you today? Where would love rate on the uh, list of who you are? Sadly, we don't invest a lot of time in that, and so for many of us, love would be down the list because our words aren't loving, our actions aren't loving as a result of uh, the wrong attributes that we're building into who we are and what we're all about. God's, one of God's greatest attributes is that he's a God of love. Now, notice the second thing. It involves an attitude. It involves an attitude. What this means is that we must have a disposition towards others that is loving, It means that there is a commitment to something. And when we talk about a self-sacrificing commitment, it is a commitment that says, as I wake up this morning, I know people are going to make me angry. I know people are going to uh, really push my buttons today. I know people are going to do me wrong. They're going to uh, not meet the expectations that they have said they would hit. And so I am going to, in response of knowing that people are going to fail me today, I am going to extend love in every aspect of my day. But it starts with the heart. It starts with the mind. Uh, Loving actions don't take place if they're not within the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do those words of anger and those words that are unloving come out of our mouth? It's because our heart is not turned to the issue of love. Finally, love is an action. Love is an action. In First John, where we've seen this theme throughout, in First John 3.18, it reminds us that we just can't uh, have love as a part of our lives. And of course, Christians are to be loving people, and so uh, I will make that a part of my attribute of who I am. It's not just an attitude, well, I'm going to think lovely thoughts, and I'm going to think loving thoughts about people. But notice what the Scripture says in 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Our love is that which we live out so that others will see, and not just so others will see, but that others will be impacted by the love that we show. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It would have done us no good to have a God in heaven who would say, I'm a loving God. In fact, I am love. It's a part of who I am. And I have a loving disposition towards you, the people, the humanity of this world, but I'm going to do nothing to demonstrate that love for you. There's a lot of fathers in this world who say that they love their children and never show that love. There are husbands and wives who say they're in love with each other but never show tangible ways of how they love. We say we love our enemies. We love our neighbors, but rarely do we ever see that come out in action. I love that part of our mission statement that says that we will love our neighbors to the point of action. That love isn't something that just looks good on the back of a bulletin, but it is something that we see a desire to act out on so that others will see it. We need to understand this idea of love and live it out in our lives. And in doing so, by loving, it means that we live like God. Number two, notice with me that to love completely means to overcome the obstacles that keep us from love. It involves overcoming the obstacles. Okay, we're called to love God completely. Yes, Tim, I understand that. I I recognize that. If we're to love like that, and if that's what Christians are to be known for, and if we are to live as Jesus did, who lived a life of love, why is it that our relationships are in such disarray? Why is it our relationships are so shallow? It is because there is, if you will, uh, three mountains that keep us from loving as Jesus did. There are three major mountains of obstacles that come our way. That keep us from loving with the full potential that Christ would have for us in our marriages, in our friendships, and in our family. The first mountain that comes up is the mountain, what I'd like to call, the me attitude, or me first attitude. The me first attitude. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James reminds us of why our relationships at times are, are so ugly. Why our conversations are so bitter? Why, if we are called to love and live like God, our relationships falter? James chapter 4 reminds us of why the me-first attitude attitude is something that will derail any relationship. Notice what it says in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes them? Aren't you supposed to love each other, James is asking? What, what causes this thing? And he answers it. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The reason why our relationships are where they're at is because the world tells us that our lives are most important and they reign supreme, even when others are around. It's about me. Take care of me. Serve me. Make the meal that I want. Let's go do the things that I want to be a part of. Be the kind of spouse that I want you to be. Hit my expectations, children, to the kind of child that I want you to be. I want things to go my way. It's no wonder why we struggle because in this room represents 300 or so people that say it's all about me. How do we live this in this world when we're all looking to take care of self and not looking to the needs of others? It's amazing Jesus showed love by always serving others and there were quarrel after quarrel amongst the disciples on who would be the best. Who would be the greatest? Who's going to sit next to Jesus at this meal? Who's going to sit with Jesus in eternity? Who are the greatest of the disciples? Because they had a me first attitude and we do as well. And so two people in a marriage have a me-first attitude, and they're always waiting for the other person to change. They're always waiting for the other person to cave in to the issue, and they never do because they both hold out. And that's why relationships grow cold. That's why relationships falter, because of selfishness, because we have what we, do not, what we want. We do not have what we want. And so as a result of that, we take. And we don't take by asking. This is something we're learning in the Bedal family. One of the boys has something. And it's amazing. It's usually the youngest, Luke, that's carrying around something. And he's been patient. He has waited for no one to touch that thing for hours. And he'll go and he'll pick it up. And he'll usually, smart enough to go to a corner and just start playing with it. And one of his big, bad, older brothers comes. And in one swoop, grabs it. And walks away. And we say, well, that's terrible. Why would a kid do that? Because they see mom and dad doing that. They see adults do that. We're more clever. We're more subtle as a result of it. This is a mountain that many of our relationships falter on. And notice the second one. And that is the mountain of misunderstandings. The mountain of misunderstandings. Within every relationship, there will be times where there are misunderstandings. I want you to understand something. We are terrible at communicating. We don't communicate very well. Women are the best communicators, and men are a third of the communicating skills that women have. And we still falter at at communicating all the time. We don't share how we really feel. Uh, We don't explain why we feel the way that we do. We deal with one-word sentences or one-phrase sentences that just help people to stay away or try to dictate what a person should do. And as a result of that, the others around us are trying to say, how can I make Tim's life more palatable? How can I make Tim's life go better? I wish I could understand him and read him, but he's not saying anything. And when he does, it's not making any sense to me on how I can help. Because we're not clear about our plans. We're not clear about our desires and our needs. We're quick to read body language, jump to conclusions. James tells us that the way that we can fix this mountain is to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And so you are upset with someone next to you and you're not sure exactly why, but, but they haven't done everything the way you've wanted them to, and that bugs you. I, I, I get this a lot, and this is probably by far uh, Amanda's and my biggest struggle in marriage. It's misunderstandings. Okay, Tim, you're going to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. And you're going to take care of that? Yeah, 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 I'll take care of that. And what happens? One of us uh, he doesn't get it done. The kids are yelling and screaming. We're, we're two ships passing by at times, and, and we're barking out uh, different plans to one another. And uh, what happens? Well, you didn't tell me this. Why did you keep this from me? I would have had this thing done had you told me about it. And she'll say, of course, I told you five times, and I don't remember it. And so I need to be quick to Listen. Slow to speak. And when that falls apart, I need to be slow to get angry. Some of us are fighting each other or fighting with those that we care about because of a simple misunderstanding. Instead of humbling ourselves, we'd rather think that we're right in what we perceive to be true than to deal with it. And that's a mountain that will keep us from loving completely. Number three, the third mountain is mistakes. Mistakes. Every relationship will have mistakes. If you're in any relationship, which you all are, whether it's with your spouse or with a mom or a dad or with a friend or other family member, I want you to understand that they're sinners. They all have a me-first attitude. I don't know anybody in this room, anybody in this world, that doesn't at some point in time say, what about me? And because of that, they're going to sin against one another. They're going to make bad decisions. They're going to speak wrongly. They're going to hurt you. They're going to break commitments. They're going to lose their tempers. They're going to say things that cut deep. It's inevitable. No matter your personality, no matter your makeup, but these mistakes, the Scripture says that love is to cover. As believers, we are to be reminded that love covers a couple sins, right? Just a couple, and we've written them down. There are three sins in my life that I'm willing to cover for other people. Three sounds like a good number. It was the time that Jesus was in the grave. That sounds good. But that's not what Jesus tells us. Peter tells us that we, that we are to love, and that love is to cover A dozen sins. No, a multitude of sins. The idea there in the Greek, that word multitude means a vast amount of sins. And so that means when someone sins against us, love covers it. Love meets it and says it's okay. It's been covered. It's it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. People make mistakes. They hurt us. They wrong us. The Bible tells us love keeps no record of wrong. A couple weeks ago, it had been, I guess, a couple months, I was in a counseling session with a couple that was really struggling. And I said, okay, let's, let's get down to the bottom of the issues here. I want you to, to share what really bothers you about your spouse what is it? And the wife quickly chimed in and she says, I've got three. And so we heard them. One, two, three. I got done. I said, okay, that's workable. She says, wait, 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 I didn't mean just three. I meant three pages. And I looked at her legal pad and by, she was right on three pages. And I said, quickly run through them. I marked, and I kid you not, 40 of them, 40, were from five years or farther back. And I said, let's stop there. And then the husband says, well, I don't have that many. And I looked at his, and his were just as guilty and bad. I said, let's just go to 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment. Both of them said they love each other. So you know, they're not in this church, so don't be looking at the people next to you and then... I said, you both say you love each other, but you're unwilling to love, as the Word of God says. Love keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't keep bringing it up. So how do we get beyond these mountains? How do we get down these obstacles? This is what keeps us from loving completely. It is through forgiveness. Write that somewhere. Circle it. Star it. The way that you climb beyond these mountains is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. On the first one with the me first attitude, it involves you asking for forgiveness. Uh, Sometimes I have to stop and I have to say to my wife or to my children, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I have spoken out of turn. I said something in jest that I now know were daggers to you. Please forgive me. Please accept my apology. Forgiveness on the other two is being able to forgive those that have hurt you. The idea of forgiveness is not to hold things against someone, and we are holding all kinds of things against people, even after we say that we have forgiven them. Yeah, I forgive you, but I'll never let you forget it. That's not forgiveness. I love these two quotes that I found. Martin Luther Luther King Jr. said, He who is devoid... The power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. I like that. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. George Herbert once said, He who cannot forgive others destroys the very bridge over which he himself must travel. Jesus talked about this. How can we be forgiven of the great debt that we are owed because of our sin to turn around and the little debt that each of us have against one another and not forgive them? That great parable of the unmerciful servant who's forgiven such a great debt, and right after he's been forgiven this huge, lifelong debt, he goes and this petty debt that someone else has, he goes and he puts his hand around his neck and says, you better pay it or I will throw you into jail. God has forgiven us of so much, and yet we are so quick to be unmerciful to those around us. It is time for some of us to seek forgiveness from the ones that we say we love and those we have hurt. Love involves love completely loving completely also involves another thing and that is to involve ourselves in valuing others even though they are different. You know how easy it is to love yourself? It's easy. It's easy to to think about how good you are. It's easy to look from your own perspective and see how right you are. I don't know about you, but when vanity becomes an issue for me, and and vanity is a common issue for, for many, I begin to think thoughts of grandeur that remind me of an ESPN highlight reel. Slow motion pictures and a deep voiced man sharing the narrative. Tim Bedall finds himself in a meeting that's going nowhere. Tim Bedall in his right and wise thinking, wiser than a thousand other thinkers, comes up with the idea that changes the meeting and moves the group forward with strategic thoughts and plans. Sounds Good. Tim rises above the fray to lead the people to the promised land. You laugh, you hypocrites. (laughs) Tim is the right kind of husband when he comes home, the right kind of dad. After working a hard day at work and preparing for sermons, he knows just the right thing to say to his children, and he knows just when to wink at his wife. I could go on, but I'd probably be asked to step down. It's easy to look at our own lives and say, boy, if I wasn't in that meeting, if I wasn't there to deal with that situation, where would the world have been without me? That one person, you know, that stick-in-the-mud... Why can't they be more optimistic? Why is it always pessimism? Why is it always the cup is half empty instead of half full? Why is it they have to ask so many questions? Why is it that they uh, have to be involved in all the decisions? Why, why, why? And we begin to look at those who are different than us, and instead of valuing them, we begin to despise them. And so we're married to someone who is very different than us. And we despise them for their differences instead of valuing them for the strengths that they bring. In many ways I've married the exact opposite of who I am. The reason why I fell in love with my wife is I saw her poise. That was it. I saw her at Wabansi sitting at a desk And her book bag was right where it needed to be. Her hands, I kid you not, her feet were like this. She sat, and it's like she had been preparing for that moment for for years. It's just how she is. And I come in, shirts untucked, hairs all over the place when I had hair. (laughs) Late. No textbooks, no nothing. And the Lord says, you're never going to make it through life. And your mom's been praying for a long time that someone would take care of you. And there she is. Now, I could get mad that she's not like me. She's not the free spirit. She's always thinking about what the circumstances are and what the conclusions are going to be. And she's not in this service, so I can speak well to this. And you big mouths who say things after the service to her, you've got a special place in heaven for you. But all of that to understand that I can either value those things or not value them. And I want to explain this more, and I'm gonna use I don't use a lot of props in, in church, but I'm gonna use a prop today. All right. I don't need this yet. I want to talk about some people in this place. Okay? And I want to talk about them let's see here. And you know oh, here we go. The first type of person I want to talk about are measuring tapes. You know them, always going around and measuring you know let's take a look at Jeff., yeah, you know what, Jeff? I wish Jeff was a little taller. He just doesn't do things the way I wish they would. By the way, this is what Allison told me. Um, (Laughter) I'm not the only one going down, buddy. Uh, And they're always looking, and they're always saying, you know what? They they don't measure up. Some of you are sitting next to some measuring tapes. You think you're doing right, and there just isn't enough. I tell you, as a young kid, I hated measuring tapes in my life. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to act like an adult? When are you going to, when are you going to... Judging, judging, measuring, measuring. I don't like measuring tapes. Okay, moving on. Some of us are hammers. Hammers, you don't want to get in their way. The worst pain in this world, besides giving birth, I've been told, is, oh, that smarts. The whole world falls apart when you hit your thumb or your finger with a hammer. And there are some people, hammers, man, they drive. They drive themselves into people. They are the ones, it's their way or the highway. Better get out of my way. I'm a hammer. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to plow right through. And if you get in my way, you're going to get hurt. And there's some of us that are in this room today where hammers That's no good. Okay, what's it? Sandpaper. La 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 nag 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 nag. Do I have to explain any more? Just grating on you. Just over and over. I don't have this. I don't have a Okay. There's the vice. What do vices do? I got to do this right here. Okay. I'm glad we got some polyurethane on this pulpit. Vices just, I'm going the wrong way here. Oh, just stay there. Stay there. Let me just tighten things up a little more. Let me, no, stay there. I'm just going to tighten things up. I know you're getting feeling a little claustrophobic. Just stay there. Let me just help you out there a little bit. Let me just take it in and, oh, does that feel good? Hold on a second. Let me just make sure you know that you're in my clutches. These are needy people. They can't let go. They need you to be there. They clamp on, and they're so codependent on you that it just it doesn't ever work out, and it drives you nuts. So these are the people that you want to steer clear from, because if you get into this, you're never getting out. Amen? I hate vice people. I hate them. All right, moving on. Uh, let's see what else I got here. Uh, oh, no. Putty people. Putty people got no backbone whatsoever. Yes, 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 yes. Will you do this? Yes. Will you do that? Yes. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Putty people, man, you never know where putty people are at, do you? They're always smiling. But you never know if they're really smiling on the inside. They just are so conflict-averse. They don't want to mess with anything. And so they'll just fit into whatever. They'll just, whatever, I'll just go whatever way we need to, and I'll never put up a fight. I don't like putty people. But I want you to understand something. Putty, the vice, the sandpaper, the tape measure. I want you to turn your Bibles to one passage, and I'm going to close this illustration out. And that is the passage, let's see here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. You're all these people. You, some of you are saying, you know, you just defined my husband. I hope he's listening. And he's listening saying, there's that tape measure of my wife again. This is what she's doing. But notice what Paul tells Timothy. And we need to remember this. And this is how we value, and it's the following. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. Listen to what it says in verse 21. If, and I want to use the example, if the hammer, if the tape measure, if the putty, if the sandpaper or the vice cleanses himself from the latter... He will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ wasn't a caterer but a carpenter? That he takes the hammers and he makes them great. He takes the tape measures and he uses it to build great things. He takes the vice and he uses it for his glory. And he uses the sandpaper and the wood putty. How does he do it? Hammers fasten things in. They're used to force so they can hold things together. Sandpaper uh, does this grading, not to irritate people, but to sand out the rough edges. The vice holds things in place. The tape measure allows you, knowing that you're not very discerning about measurements, to tell you exactly where you need to be. And putty when nothing else fits. Especially when you're a carpenter like me. We buy these things in the gallons, by the way. It fits where nothing else will go. God doesn't want you to become like your spouse. God wants to use your spouse or your friend or your loved one for exactly who they are. Whether they're a hammer, a tape measure, putty, whatever it is, God says, I want to use it for noble things. One final thing, and let's close with this. Loving completely means exercising love in all situations. What does that mean? Let's go back to Ephesians 5 just for a moment. We live lives of love. All situations involve us loving, and it involves a proper source. Understand this. You cannot willfully make a decision today, I'm going to be a person of love and have it absent from God. You can't do that. So you must have a decision that is made is that I am going to live for Christ. I am going to love Jesus Christ with all of who I am. 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The only way you will love that person in your life is if you understand how much God loves you. And so look to Him as the example. Some of us in our relationships are saying, I'll start loving Him, or I'll start loving her, or I'll start loving them when they start loving me. And again, Romans tells us, but God demonstrated His love not when we loved Him, but while we were still sinners, that He loved us first. And we need to make that our source. We need to experience God's love before we can love others. And finally, it involves a certain strategy. Our love must do something. And I want to give you a couple. Write these down. You want a strategy to love, and it's hard to talk application with so many different ways you can go. But number one, make your relationships a priority. Write that down. Make them a priority. Whether it's your wife or your husband or your children or your friends or your family, make them a priority. Relationships don't happen on their own. You have to work at them. Number two, pursue relationships. Don't be passive. Don't wait for relationships to come to you. You pursue relationships. Get to know people. Pursue the deepening of relationships. Number three, protect those whom you love. Protect those whom you love. Watch out for the things that cause them to stumble. Don't throw things into their way knowing that they're going to fall to those things. Don't bring up those things. Protect them from them. Number four, provide for them without grumbling. Provide for them. Whatever it is, whether it's working to provide for a family, whether it's uh, doing some things for them, don't say, I do all these things, I slave and all of this. I do it because I love you and it is a joy for me. Number four. Number five, pray for them often. You want to love people, pray for them. Ask God to give you the perspective about who they are. And finally, in all relationships, be a picture of Christ. Love as Christ has loved us. When we begin to live like God, when we begin to overcome the obstacles to love, By valuing those who are different than us and exercising love in all situations, we begin to live life like we've got one month to live and we begin to love others in that way. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what it's taught us about relationships, about who we are, about how you have loved us. We are so grateful for how you have loved us while we were sinners. While we hated you, you loved us. While we turn from you, you loved us. And so, Lord, remind us of your love for us so that we will in turn love each other differently. That we'll love our enemies. We'll love those that are difficult to work with. That we'll love those who are different than us. We'll love those who are in committed relationships with. That we would, as dearly loved children, live lives of love. So that the world may know that we are Christians because we imitate our God who is love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.